Al Jazeera podcast. Tell me if this story sounds familiar. A former world leader is facing years in prison for crimes he allegedly committed while in office. The court handed down its ruling in his absence for illegally selling state gifts. He's not a typical politician. In fact, he started out as a celebrity. His face was everywhere on TV. He gained notoriety for his playboy lifestyle and multiple high-profile marriages. In the early 90s, he was hanging out with rock stars and royalty. He came to power on a populist wave. His followers are true believers. Then it all came crashing down. And now he's saying he's the victim of a conspiracy by the U.S. political establishment to topple him. The man behind the headlines? Not one Donald J. Trump, but Imran Khan. Imran Khan is Pakistan's former prime minister who has been convicted of corruption. There are more than 150 cases against him, and last week he was barred from running for office for five years. Legal experts say the conviction may end Khan's chances of running in elections later this year. So, what does it mean for Pakistan's political future? I'm Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. My name is Abid Hussain. I am the digital correspondent for Al Jazeera English. I'm based in Islamabad, Pakistan. So the last time you were on the take, it was May, just after Imran Khan's first arrest. And you'd barely gotten any sleep because Khan's supporters had taken to the streets in protest. Anger against the arrest of Imran Khan has turned into violent confrontations. Beer gas shells have been fired at this crowd, blocking the main highway towards Islamabad. Despite all of that, he was later released on bail. But fast forward to August 5th, Khan is arrested again for a separate case, and he's actually barred from politics. He releases a pre-recorded video message calling on his supporters to take to the streets again. If you do not stand up for your rights, you will live like slaves. Slaves have no lives of their own. Slaves are like ants on the ground. So, Abed, this time... It's been a very different reaction. You are there in Islamabad reporting. What changed? As you mentioned that in May, there was quite a visceral reaction after Khan's brief detention of Khan and the people came up. And, you know, a lot of damage and protest took place. Subsequently, state unleashed a massive, massive crackdown on Imran Khan and his party. Leaders of the party, Pakistan Tariq Saf, the PTI, were picked up, thousands of workers were thrown to the jail, and there was this air of huge intimidation and fear unleashed on the party. So when on August 5th, when Imran Khan got arrested, there was barely any protest anywhere in the country. Second thing which came up front was there is a little bit of disillusion seeping in. People saw at the time when Imran Khan got picked up in May, and subsequently he came out, Imran essentially talked about himself to protecting himself kept asking his supporters to go out and protest, but he wanted himself to be protected. So the interest among his supporters to physically go out and actively support, that definitely diminished. It does not necessarily mean that the support for Imran went down. It was just physically presenting themselves 
that definitely went down. So when Khan was arrested the first time, authorities were really heavy-handed with him. You've reported that there are actually fears for his life while in police custody. So what do we know about his current condition? Imran Khan right now is kept in this jail called Atak Jail. And generally, jails in Pakistan are already not in a great shape, but some of them are worse than the others. Imran has been kept over there. And as far as his life is concerned, the, when I, what I reported about the fears of his life, that was a statement given by the Pakistan Tariqan Saaf lawyers and their statement. It was that the police officials, the administration have said that Imran Khan has been provided adequate uh, facilities. Naturally, it's a jail. You cannot expect luxurious facilities over there as such. But Imran is kept over there under very heavy security. And this is what administration has further added that the reason behind keeping Imran Khan in Atak jail is to ensure his complete safety and security. I mean, Imran Khan, he's been such a dominant figure. Does his party, PTI, have another leader who can carry on his mantle? For better or worse, Imran Khan is PTI and PTI is Imran Khan. Yeah. You know, often it happens when parties with a populist leader, their structure does not necessarily allow to prepare and cultivate next tier of leaders. One more thing which we have to keep in mind is that in May, when Imran got arrested for the first time and there was a complete state crackdown. This Pakistan Tariq Insaf party says several people have been killed and hundreds wounded. Party leaders have been arrested and are trying to distance themselves from the destruction. The party was broken because a lot of leaders, like more than 100 leaders, were picked up and they were coerced to either leaving the party or quitting the politics. So while PTI still has a fair number of senior leaders out there, they do not necessarily have that charisma, that drive, who can evoke passion among the supporters. I can't help but notice there are a lot of parallels between Imran Khan and Donald Trump, right? They're both charismatic figures who have taken over the political scene in their respective countries. For a long time, Trump managed to actually increase his popularity with his supporters the more legal problems he faced. And I guess that trend is continuing. Do you think this is the same playbook that Khan is running? And do you think it's going to work? So this comparison between Imran Khan and Donald Trump, whoever is going to be our audience, that they are PTI supporters, they are going to be serious with this comparison. They absolutely hate being compared to Donald Trump. But what you just observed here, Kevin, in many ways it is accurate. I mean, not exactly 100% replica of it, but it is very similar. And so what you just mentioned about the fact that Imran's arrest would help increase his popularity, undoubtedly, there is no question about that. Wow. Imran at the moment, right now, is already arguably the most popular leader of the country. Mm. Now, in the last one year, Imran's genuine hold and genuine support of the public has certainly increased. Right. So... Say his popularity does increase because he's in jail. He's still facing this five-year ban on participating in politics. Will his increase in popularity make any difference towards overturning something like that? Practically speaking, unfortunately, the way Pakistan works, despite having all the support, it does not necessarily mean that in Pakistan, the establishment, the power of bureaucracy, they will eventually allow you to come back. The Pakistani army still wields significant political power in the country. Incumbent governments need to keep the army happy if they want to stay in power. It has seized control of several civilian governments over the years, enforcing martial law to restore order, and has dismissed members of parliament. 
there are lots of behind the scenes which goes beyond these simple, very surface level thing such as a straightforward crowd support. In Pakistan, unfortunately, we have seen in the past how behind the scenes often take precedence. Abid's talking about Pakistan's military. One particular behind-the-scenes report has been making headlines in Pakistan and stirring the pot abroad. That's after the break. On the Inside Story podcast this week, we're discussing the future of the Wagner Mercenary Group after Russia is said to have stopped funding it. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Since Imran Khan's fall from power began in 2022, he has insisted there was a deep state conspiracy against him at the behest of the United States. Now, according to a story by U.S. news outlet The Intercept, there is a document known as a leaked cipher that could prove him right. A cipher is a secret diplomatic cable, and according to the report, This cipher details a meeting between Pakistan's ambassador to Washington and two U.S. officials. Murtaza Hussein, a national security journalist for The Intercept, reported the story. This claim has been subject to a lot of scrutiny and partisan debate in Pakistan over the past year and a half. But only now have we actually seen the cipher in question. It seems to validate Uh, Many, if not all, of Mr. Khan's claims about the role that the U.S. played in at least encouraging and giving a green light to the military for removing him from power. Murtaza says the timing of this document came soon after Imran Khan's visit to Russia and that the U.S. was unhappy with Khan's government's neutral stance on Ukraine. In this cable, U.S. State Department officials made very clear statements to their Pakistani counterparts telling them that If Khan remained in power, Pakistan would be isolated. And if he was removed from power, quote, in their own words, all would be forgiven. So it was a very blunt and I would say undiplomatic encouragement for a change in Pakistan's own domestic politics, which were noted in the cipher document on the Pakistani side as constituting undue and unwarranted interference in Pakistan's domestic affairs. You know, what's so interesting is that oftentimes there's a lot of speculation about when things like this happen. And when Khan was removed from power right after his visit to Moscow, which clearly antagonized the U.S., there were a lot of claims that at the time, even not from Khan himself, that the U.S. must have had a hand in this. Most times in history, we never get documentary proof of that. It remains a subject of speculation. And in Pakistani history, There have been prime ministers who were executed. There have been prime ministers who died in mysterious circumstances. Very rarely do we get a smoking gun to show that the U.S. is behind it or another foreign power is behind it. Abed, for his part, is much more reluctant to call it a smoking gun. So this cipher thing is something which has been a very almost mythological status in Pakistan in the last one and a half years since Iran went away. Abid says that even if that conversation between U.S. officials and the Pakistani ambassador really did happen, Khan's fall from power still ultimately came at the hand of the real force controlling Pakistan's politics, namely the Pakistani military, not Washington. The matter of the fact is America has been part of lots of coups in different countries. There is absolutely no doubt about that. We also know for a fact 
that Pakistan military remains the most powerful institution which has interfered and meddled in the Pakistani politics has been part of Romanian governments. Even the last government was removed through that. And even Imran Khan government was perhaps orchestrated by a military. The main question here is, was it a US conspiracy where it kind of brought it up? That is extremely unlikely. Imran Khan's own words and publicly on the record has been saying multiple times that there have been attempts to remove him since July 2021. Imran Khan had a falling out with Pakistan's military in 2021 and subsequently the opposition party, the coalition party, started talking about removing Imran through a parliamentary vote of no confidence. Mm. This entire process started late 2021, early 2022. That is before the date of the reported conversation. But Murtaza says the connection between Pakistan's top brass and the U.S. can't be overlooked. If you look at Pakistani history, a very, very important factor has been the U.S. relationship with the Pakistani military. And no coup, well, no change of powers have really happened without at least a green light from the American side. I think if the U.S. official had said, we don't approve of any undemocratic changes of power in Pakistan, and regardless of our disagreements on foreign policy issues, your domestic matters are your own affair, not for us to comment upon. I think that would have put a lot more wariness on the part of the military and Khan's political opponents to move forward. If they felt that the U.S. was going to view the move as illegitimate or something that they may be punished for. But the State Department's officials here could not have been more opposite to that. They, if anything, were egging on the Pakistanis to do what they ended up doing to Mr. Khan. What the debate of the role the U.S. may have played in Khan's ouster does reflect, though, is a deeply divided Pakistan. Pakistan is extremely polarized politically, very divided. There's political party divisions, partisan divisions among the opposition in parliament and Khan's party. But more importantly, the military, which is the final power broker, was also divided. You know, effectively, there are clearly divisions inside the Pakistani military and inside the various sectors of the Pakistani security establishment. Imran Khan was among ordinary Pakistanis, very popular. And even among people who don't like Imran Khan or didn't prefer his government, the idea of the military getting involved and changing an elected government is quite repulsive to many people. So, Abid, let's kind of talk a little bit more big picture. Pakistan is in desperate need of strong leadership right now. There's no question. I mean, it's dealing with the aftermath of last year's floods. It just got an IMF bailout. There are security concerns. I mean, the list goes on and on. Now, add to that organizing a national election. Um, What do we know about how that's going to play out in this environment? Pakistan was supposed to post its election in by November this year. But the government, in their infinite wisdom, and I'm being very sarcastic about it, they decided to approve the Pakistan's latest census only a few days ago. The Pakistan constitution says that you need to demarcation of the new constituencies, basically, you know, constitution remapping. That basically means elections are very, very unlikely to take place in 2023 now. What we need to look at is the larger picture. Pakistan is a country of 241 million people, and they are being denied their constitutional rights of polling and voting and something which can make their lives better in the grander scheme of things. 
Because of those delays in redrawing voting districts, Pakistan will rely on a caretaker government for the foreseeable future. Pakistan now has a new prime minister, Anwarul Haq Kakar. He is a relatively less known lawmaker in the upper house of the parliament, and he is now Pakistan's caretaker minister. And essentially, he is supposed to govern for the next three months and to ensure clean, transparent, free and fair elections. But the key challenge that he will face during this time is to ensure financial stability of the country, as well as the kind of situation the country going on in terms of political turbulence that we are facing. There's a question of, uh, are we going to have elections on time? Pakistan has never had a leader serve their full term in office. And Khan is the seventh former prime minister to face charges. I mean, Abed, what should we make of this? I mean, is this a is this a corruption problem or is this a problem that this system routinely punishes political opponents? Knowing how difficult it is to have this job, how are they going to lead this country out of all the problems it faces? The question you ask, like, what is the problem? Why Pakistani's prime minister don't finish their tenure? The answer is a very simply Pakistan's military establishment. Unfortunately, for the last seven decades, since the country has been in existence, they singularly remain the most powerful force. They have directly ruled the country in three different goals for three and a half decades. They are singularly the most important meddling interfering force. Mm. And this is the unfortunate reality that for Pakistan to get out of that clutch, it's not going to be easy. They are so entrenched in our system, we have to be really, really brave to do that. So this is a generational change. It will take a while to change and evolve. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Miranda Lynn with Khalid Sultan, David Enders, Amy Walters, Chloe K. Lee, Sonia Baguette, Ashish Malhotra, Zain Abadar, Faranisa Kampana, and me, Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.